0: During the heightened market volatility caused by the coronavirus pandemic, we conducted a Zoom call for clients on weathering the storm. This was another effort to share timely and relevant information about investment conditions. This podcast is a recording of that Zoom call and we hope you enjoy listening in. Millstone River Wealth Management is an independent financial planning and investment advisory firm. We answer only to our clients The wealth management plans we develop are based solely on our client's goals. We welcome your inquiry to learn more. Please visit millstone-river.com. All right, good morning everyone, and thank you for joining us. This is something new for us at Millstone River, and we're hoping that you find the time together valuable. I think we'll be together for about 25 to 30 minutes, depending upon questions we might receive. The idea about what we're doing today is we're bringing a good speaker in to talk a little bit about what's going on in the investment markets, heightened volatility, and some thoughts about how to best sort of weather the storm from a financial standpoint, but I thought I would start with uh, a couple of things because uh, most people, if you're like me, you've sort of forgotten a little bit about what came in the world prior to COVID-19 and the coronavirus. So just for fun, I thought I'd share with you the biggest news stories of 2020 before the virus became the news story. And let's see if you remember when these things were going on. Back in January, at the start of the year, the biggest story was the wildfires in Australia. Anybody remember that? Um, Also in early January, the Iranian General Soleimani was killed in a US drone strike. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced plans to step down from their duties as royals. Uh, A Ukrainian flight crashed in Iran killing all passengers on board. Um, Donald Trump's impeachment trial began in January. Anybody still remember when we were talking about that as the big story of the day? Um, On January 20th, the first Corona case was confirmed in the United States, that was in Washington State. Uh, Kobe Bryant and eight others crashed in a helicopter accident. Uh, All passengers on board were killed. And on January 31st, the United Kingdom withdrew from the European Union. Seems so long ago, doesn't it? In February, Trump was acquitted. Um, On February 11th, the World Health Organization named the coronavirus as COVID-19. Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape and criminal sexual acts. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren drops out of the 2020 race. She had previously been considered one of the leaders of the PAC. In March, on March 10th, Italy was the first country to implement a national lockdown, uh, which they've since lifted. On March 11th, the next day, the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic. On the 13th, two days later, Donald Trump declares a national emergency. And on the 16th, The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped by 2,997 points, which was the worst point drop since the crash of 1987. In early April, Bernie Sanders dropped out of the presidential race. And who would have thought that 2020 would be the year when toilet paper would be a more worthy commodity than crude oil? Uh, Or that our kids would actually be begging to go back to school. I am pleased on behalf of the team that I work with at Millstone River Wealth Management to bring to you today, Kezia Samuel, who has over 19 years of experience in communications of investment strategies. She's currently with AssetMark, a company that we work with very closely with many of our client accounts. And she has previously worked for companies including Global Financial Partners, Jackson National and JP Morgan. She holds a BS in chemistry and computer science from Fordham University and holds the Chartered Alternatives Investment Analyst designation and is a Chartered Financial Analyst Level Two candidate. It's a pleasure to have her with us today, and I hope everyone learns a whole lot over the next several minutes. Uh, Without further ado, let me turn over my microphone to Kezia. Thank you for being with us this morning.
1: Thank you, Matt. It was quite revealing to think about all the events that have taken place in 2020, which have been completely overshadowed by the events over the last eight weeks. Uh, when you lay it out in that manner, it is quite revealing how quickly information moves in today's world and how quickly we have adapted to this new way of thinking. Let me see if technologically if I can share my screen uh, here as well. To walk through in three parts discussion on what's taken place so far uh, in the markets, what will it take for the markets to recover, and then thinking about some perspective for long term investors. I know that in this fast paced, moving environment that we're in, it's often hard to stop, take a breath, and look up above to realize that we have seen crisis. This time it's different than the last one, but nonetheless, we have not only survived, but also thrived. With that, let's get started. The very first one I wanna start by talking is what's happened in the stock markets. And what you see on the screen here is the index return for the S&P 500, the most commonly referred to stock market index in the United States, starts from January of 2000, and it's plotted all the way through the end of April, 2020 during the month of march the s p 500 entered one of the fastest bear market territory by the way the definition of a bear market is when the market drops 20 percent or more during the month of march in the area highlighted on the far right hand side you'll see it looks like a wall a sharp wall down during the month of march the stock markets fell 20 percent didn't stop there continued to fall the worst that we saw was a drop of 35% roughly, and that happened in less than a month. Just for some perspective here, the last time the markets dropped 35% was back during the great financial crisis in 2008, but it took the markets one full year to drop 35%, that which we did in less than a month during the month of March. So the speed of the decline was nothing short of breathtaking. Thereafter, You'll take a look and that little spike up is the rally that we saw through the month of April. In fact, the markets recovered nearly 60% of the losses that we saw during the height of the fall. So April was a strong rally. But what is not seen on this page, and it's important because often as individuals, we read the headline of the news and we stop. Let's X-ray this picture to understand where this rally has come from and why it seems so disconnected from the economy uh, today. If you look at the rally today, they have come from a narrow group of stocks. That is, mega-cap technology names have driven technology, and a handful in the healthcare sector have driven this rally. The S&P 500 is what we call the market cap weighted index, meaning The bigger the stock is, the bigger the chunk it gets in the index. So as these handful of stocks have rallied, they have become bigger and bigger components of this index. This trend has not just happened over the last month, but has continued to happen over the last 11 years. Let me give you what I mean by that. Over the last 11 years, as the U.S. has taken ahead of the global stock market rally it is now represented as 58 percent of the global stock market index cap typically in the history it's averaged at 50 percent so we sit on the high end relative to the global stock market uh, market capitalization so to speak within the us just three stocks microsoft apple and amazon make up nine percent of the global stock market index cap. The next biggest country behind the United States is Japan at 7%. Three stocks in the United States is bigger than the entire stock market in Japan. Telling you that this rally has been extremely narrow, and when you look behind, it's somewhat masking the pain felt by the broader companies uh, by simply looking at the headline returns alone. In addition, the pain that we saw in the stock markets was not isolated to just stocks. The next screen here shows you what crude oil or what happened during the month of May was for the very first time, I never thought I'd utter these words out loud, which is they were willing to pay you $37.50 to take oil off their hands. Why would this happen? We saw a perfect trifecta storm. Demand was crushed as a result of COVID-19. In fact, demand has been crushed by 10 million barrels per day. At the same time, supply continued to remain in glut as a result of Saudi Arabia and Russia waging this war to try and knock out some of the U.S. shale producers as the U.S. has emerged as number one in oil production, and their economies are entirely reliant on oil for growth. They wanted to kick out some of the US shale producers, so continued to pump oil to drive oil prices lower in the idea that some of these companies would go out of business. So we had an excess supply. And then finally, think about no demand and excess supply. Where are you going to store this? Unless many of you have a swimming pool out there that's willing to take oil, storage went from 40% of capacity to 70% of capacity. This perfect trifecta storm of low demand, excess supply, and a lack of storage caused oil to drop below into negative prices for the very first time. But since then, as Russia and Saudi Arabia have pulled back their supply constraints, it is certainly, we have seen oil prices rebound into the positive territory. Finally, an area that I think is not discussed as much in mainstream headlines or the newspaper is the volatility that unfolded in the bond markets as well. Typically, when stocks fall, bonds tend to rally. We saw the polar opposite. That is, stocks fell, and so did bonds. What you see on the screen here is the most commonly used bond index. If you have bonds in your portfolio, likely some portion of the bonds are managed relative to this index, which is called the Bloomberg Barclays US Aggregate Index. And we chart that from the start of the year, just a year ago, to showcase the volatility that we saw. Look at the month of March and how sharply bonds also sold off. Why would this happen? Primarily driven by the fact that there was liquidity concerns. Anyone that was trying to raise assets and raise cash went to the markets to try and sell bonds, which still had a positive value in the midst of stocks falling. And when there are more sellers than there are buyers, you get to see this line unfold that you see on the screen, which is bonds also started to sell off along with stocks, driving markets essentially to freeze. And the bond markets are far larger than the U.S. stock market. And this is the heart of how companies access credit. This is one of the key reasons the Federal Reserve stepped in so aggressively during the month of March, It is not to stop the sell off in stocks. It was this chart that drove the Fed to step in for the primary reason that this crisis, which is not a financial one, should not unfold to become one as a result of the liquidity crisis that unfolded in the bond market. Since then, you can see bond markets have also recovered sharply, which leads us to the question of, was that it? Was that the worst pain behind us? Stocks fell, stocks have rallied. Bonds fell, bonds are rallied, and so has oil. In order to look forward, I'm going to use a very simple analogy of a three-legged stool. And each leg to the stool is likely to be a piece of the puzzle that the markets are going to be focused on. And what you see, the first leg is the containment of the virus. And on that front, we've had significant positive data. We have seen the term flattening of the curve being used across a variety of hotspots around the globe from China, South Korea, Spain, Italy, even New York City here in the United States. So that is fairly good news, which the markets have reacted positively to. But I stated in this way, the containment of the virus that we've had successful front news on is the end of the first chapter in a storybook. It is not the end of the story. Rather, as we think of reopening the economy, It's the next chapter that we will step into. Reopening the economy is not going to be like a light switch. It's not a matter of on or off. Instead, think of it like a dimmer. There will be brightness that are different in regions around the globe, as well as sectors in the market. In the essence, the containment of the virus remains a developing story that the markets will continue to watch here in the near term which leads us to the next leg of the stool that the markets need more data on, which is, well, as a result of this containment of all of us being uh, shut in our homes, what has the economic impact been here in the near term? And what you see to that effect is we have some data, but again, limited data. In the data that we do know, we've seen in the first quarter of 2020, the US economy contracted by 4.8% at an annual rate, No surprise, the contraction in our economy came from a lack of consumption. Many of us are sitting at home, not spending money the way we typically would, and that certainly has shown in the numbers itself. In addition, we have seen 33.5 million individuals claim for unemployment insurance, taking the unemployment rate to 14.7%. For any of you wondering, during 2008, I don't recollect in eight weeks losing 33 and a half million jobs. Surely, this has to be far worse than what we saw in 2008. Now, there are differences relative to 2008, and where we have seen the impact today highlights one such difference. The areas that have been predominantly impacted are in the sectors of retail, restaurants, travel, leisure, transportation, the things that none of us are doing today and these sectors combined together make up 20 percent of the u.s labor force or roughly 35 million individuals work in these sectors but these sectors combined together contribute 12 percent to our economic output in comparison in 2008 the two sectors at the heart of the crisis back then financial and construction those two sectors while they have fewer workers do contribute 25% to our economic output. Why the big disparity? The big disparity is because the majority of the workers in the sectors impacted today are on part-time basis and also on the lower end of the wage scale. So there are differences, and it's important to, again, look past the headlines to understand the impact behind the scenes. Nonetheless, as this potential shutdown continues, and if we were to reshut the economy as we strategically reopen, it is likely to take a different impact beyond the sectors that are obvious to us today. And the markets will continue to watch for developing news on the full clarity of the economic impact as well. And then finally, the third leg to the stool has been one that the markets have absolutely welcomed and driving the rally here in the near term. And in one word, that is stimulus. Stimulus has come to us in two ways. It has been big, enormous. I'm not sure what are the words to describe the amount of stimulus we have seen. We have seen monetary stimulus, which is what the Fed has done, taken interest rates to zero. In addition, spent $1.5 trillion to date purchasing assets. In comparison, for the same time frame in 2008, they had spent $200 billion. You can see the Fed has stepped in in a massive way. I don't know how else to describe this. Plus the CARES Act, which is the fiscal stimulus, which talks about getting money into the hands of individuals, is roughly $3 trillion, plus another $3 trillion being passed in the House, unlikely to be spent in the same amount. But again, these numbers are enormous. The best way to think of stimulus, and the reason the markets have rallied as much as they have, Stimulus is like taking NyQuil. Imagine the economy caught the flu. Stimulus is like taking NyQuil. It doesn't cure the flu, meaning it's not going to make the recession, which is inevitable, go away. Instead, it's going to make the patient feel better so that the patient doesn't catch pneumonia. That is the aim of what we are seeing here with the stimulus being passed. With that said, I think as we continue continue Uh, through the uncertainties on the containment of the virus as well as understanding the economic impact it is likely market volatility will continue which leads us to the classic cycles of emotions that we all feel often as investors we feel most comfortable to buy or increase our assets when markets are rising and on the contrary when markets do present opportunities as they have fallen we seem most reluctant to step in. Emotions can be a great asset as an individual for investing, but they can certainly turn into a liability based on our reactions to short-term volatility as well. In fact, this leads us to the big point. We are now reopening the economy, which will lead us to the key state of watching why the markets are rallying. What you see on the screen here is one of the descriptions of the difference between the stock markets and the economy. As investors, we often collate them or we conflate them as one big entity. The stock market is not the economy. They are two distinct entities. One certainly takes the cue from the other, but it is two different entities altogether. The stock market is often a leading indicator, meaning it is reacting to information that is likely to come our way. Versus the economy being backward looking based on information that has happened in the past. So we look to see as we reopen the economy, are there years when the stock markets are positive despite the economy being negative? In fact, since 1930, what the chart shows you here is that there were 18 such years. And out of the 18, 12 of the 18 years, despite the economy being negative, the stock market has solid positive returns, and on average generated returns of 18 plus percent. What does this tell us? This tells us, again, that the stock market often tends to move well in advance of bad news being presented, and similarly starts to rise well in advance of good news being presented. We saw this in 2009 when the markets uh, peaked in October of 2007 and started to fall. Guess when the recession was officially announced? 14 months later, same thing. It bottomed March of 2009 and started to rise. Guess when the recession was officially announced to be over? 16 months later. This disconnect between the stock markets and the economy is one of the timing difference and very important that investors, if you wait for the headline economy to present positive news, it's like deciding that you're going to go for a drive but the only way you're going to drive is by looking in the rear view mirror instead of looking ahead. The last thing I'll mention is, shouldn't I just wait for the markets to heal or the economy to present good data before going back in? And here's the importance of staying invested or rather the impact of pulling money out at the potential wrong time. We've seen a growth of $10,000 here from January of 94 to December of 2019. We did nothing, we just put it into the markets during that 26 year time span, invested it into the S&P 500. Take a look at the chart on the left. That $10,000 grows to $112,000 had you done nothing to it. But if you just missed 10 of the best days, that portfolio's return is cut in half to $56,000. Why does this happen? And it happens over and over again. That is because while the worst performing days absolutely happens during bear markets, so do many of the best performing days. In fact, they all cluster together days apart from each other. And this is one of the key reasons why trying to time the market can certainly become challenging for investors. And with that, I wanna pause there, Matt, and see if you want me to clarify any of the statements I've made and or jump into Q&A.
0: Casey, um, I had, don't have any questions in the group chat, but I would encourage anybody who has a question, if you'd like to ask it now, you can use the chat function at the bottom of the screen to enter a question or unmute yourself, uh, I say with some trepidation, unmute yourself to ask the question verbally. We'll just wait a couple seconds to see if are any questions that come in. I don't see any kesey i think it's safe to go forward
1: fantastic i just wanted to as i close out today's comments um you know as we think about the markets over the long run i know that this crisis feels very different and it is we've never been through a pandemic Uh, In the current century, the last time was during the Spanish flu of 1918, and certainly markets were very different back then. Our lives were very different back then. But nonetheless, as we take a look at the big picture, since 1928 through 2019 of December, that's 93 plus years of time span. We know that the bull markets on average last 6.6 years, and in that time period, we generate a cumulative total return of 340%. On the other hand, the average bear market lasts 1.3 years and generates a cumulative total loss of 38%. As investors, the pain of losses are certainly far more acute than all the gains that we do gather over the long time. But it is absolutely important that making decisions solely based on emotions during a time period like this can derail our long-term goals, so to speak. So with that, I'll end my comments, Matt, Uh, unless there are any
0: other questions. Thank you, Kesey. I think that was good information. Hopefully everyone on the call found it helpful. Um, Just uh, as we wrap up here in the last couple of seconds together, I wanted to let you know, you know, this is something new for us to be doing these Zoom sessions and we hope that you found the presentation as helpful information. Um, But we recognize that you may have more questions now than you did a half an hour ago, and if that's the case, we'd invite you to reach out to either Adam or myself, uh, and we're happy to talk with you and provide answers or information that would be helpful. Um, I would like to thank Keezy. I think that was a a good presentation. I think it was chock full of good and relevant, timely information. Hopefully it provided a little bit of uh, context to some of the things going on in the broader investment markets, Um, Most importantly, I'd like to thank each of you for joining us um, and uh, taking the time out to be together in this new world virtual way. Um, We always welcome your feedback, and if you have feedback about anything that we talked about today or otherwise, we uh, welcome that from you. Uh, Lastly, I would just say we hope on behalf of everybody here at Millstone River Wealth Management. We hope for each of you that you can stay safe, stay healthy, and stay positive. We hope you enjoy the rest of the day. And in advance, happy Memorial Day. Thanks again for being with us. Have a good (music) one.